0: Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. Well, hello, Cross Lane Community Church. It is so good to be back with you. I can honestly tell you that I have missed you, and uh, boy, I have been through it. It's been, uh, it's been quite a road to recovery, but I appreciate all the cards and notes, uh, letters that you have sent, well wishes. You have texted me and checked on me and Deedee, and both of us were sick. I just was a little bit sicker than her, but I'm, to be honest with you, I'm not too sure she shouldn't have been in a hospital, too. She was pretty sick. But um, we just have been overwhelmed, honestly, truly, that is the word I would use overwhelmed at uh, your care and your concern for us. And so I, I just want to sincerely thank you for that, uh, as well as thank Ryan for filling in for me as admirably as he has. He's just been a trooper about this whole thing. I couldn't have picked a worse time to get sick, uh, Christmas time. You know, Ryan's got his own stuff to do. He doesn't have time to mess with me and, and the stuff that I've got to get done, but he somehow figured out a way to get all his stuff done and all my stuff done and preach for me. And that's, that's it's not easy to step in and take that on at the last minute. And uh, he he just did such a great job, had a great attitude about it. Uh, Tracy and the team stepped up and 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 just uh, performed perfectly and I really want to thank the elders for giving me the time that it took to heal and to get back to some semblance of of normalcy I don't know that I'm completely there yet I'm close Um, we're going to see how it goes today see if I run out of breath I I think that will be okay you know I thought a, a little bit about how I wanted to start when I came back to preach at the beginning of the year and uh, what could I talk about that I felt like was something that was value added, something that would be very beneficial, especially at the beginning of the year? What is something that I could talk about that would be really helpful for everybody? And one of the things that I think is really important to consider is—is—and is, I, I really, honestly, I don't think we think enough about this. But what is God's will? How do I know God's will? Let me just say, asking this question is probably one of the wisest things you can do in your life. Uh, asking this question and trying to nail it down, and then trying to do it—that's the important thing. Not just ask what it is, but but to do it is one of the wisest things you can do in your life. Now, th- I think about the most godly person that you know, a person that you look up to, someone that you wish you were like in some way. Um, The person that just knows God in a way that you wish you could know God in that way. You wish you could have a walk like their walk with Christ. I would imagine that this is a question they are asking on a pretty regular basis. God, what is your will? What is your will for the world? What is your will for me? You know, a lot of people aren't really interested in what God's will is. They are way more interested in getting God involved in whatever it is that they've got going on. Because they've got a will. And God, if I could just get you to do uh, what I'm working on here, things would just go great. Uh, I'd rather you get involved with what I'm doing than to try to figure out what you're doing. And there are people that really it just seems like that's what they're trying to do in their life is to get God to somehow come along and bless everything that goes along with that person's will. Let me just tell you, that is not a very fulfilling way To live life. It's not going to be very rewarding for you. You are not going to get great mileage out of a life that is lived like that. True peace and true tranquility is found at the point you surrender to the will of God. That's so important that I think I should say it again. True tranquility and true peace is found at the point of your surrender to the will of God. James 4 says it like this. Now, listen. You who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Now, a lot of people are like that. You know, I have a will, I have something that I want to do. Verse 14, why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? See, you thought it was all about Who am I going to marry and what school should I go to and and should I get Krispy Kreme donuts or should I get square donuts? You know, the, the major questions in life, that's what you thought this was about. But scripture says, no, no, you're a mist. And literally, the Greek word that's used there describes the vapor that comes off of boiling water. You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. That's your life. It's here. And then it's gone. In other words, the temporal questions aren't the best questions. The best questions for you to ask are the eternal questions. Verse 15, instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. In other words, I just want to align my heart with God's will. That's really what we're after. 1 John chapter 2, verse 17 says this, the world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. You know, as, as we get older, the questions that to which we need answers to get bigger. When you're 12 or 13 years old, the questions you're asking do not require big answers, right? Like you're trying to figure out what sport do I want to play? Do I want to play soccer or baseball or football or basketball? And then as you get older, it, it starts to change a little bit. Who would I like to date and then what do I want to do for a living and is it going to require me to take the trades or is it going to require me to go to college and if I go to college what kind of major should I choose and then you get into questions like should I marry him you know should I should I marry her and then we, you know the questions get a little bigger do we have kids do we go for that now or do we wait a little bit and then how many kids do we buy a house do we rent Do we get a dog? Do we get a cat? Now, let me just help you with that. The answer to that is always a dog, okay? You always get a dog. Um, Welcome to Cross Lane. That's a core value here. No, I'm just just kidding. We have some cat people in our church, and, and we love those people. As life progresses, as decisions get tougher, so how do I how do I hear God's voice as all of that swirls around me? John 10 says that his sheep, God's people, know his voice and respond to it and they say no to the other voices, the voice of the stranger, the voice of the enemy. God's people say no to those voices. You say, "Well, Brett, how do I get tuned in? How do I know?" Well, There are some methods out there that people use, and I want to talk about these for a minute. One of the methods that people use is known as the fleece method, the fleece method. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, I'm trying to make a decision and I'm going to put a fleece out about that? That idea of a fleece comes from Judges chapter 6 when Gideon was preparing for war. And he wanted some assurance from God that he was going to be successful in battle. And so what he did is he laid out a fleece uh, on his doorstep, and he asked God to allow the dew overnight to only land on the fleece and to make sure that the ground was all dry. And he woke up the next morning, and that was the case. Then he reversed it. And he said, okay, God, I'm going to do this again. This time, allow the dew to fall on the ground, but keep the fleece dry. And so now people read that in Scripture, and they will do that themselves. They will say things like, God, I'm putting out a fleece. God, if I wake up tomorrow and it's raining, then I'm going to take that as a yes from you. And if it's not raining, then I'm going to take that as a no. I heard about a, I heard about a man one time who who pulled up to the Krispy Kreme and he said, Lord, if it's your will uh, for me to get a whole dozen Krispy Kreme donuts, there will be an empty parking place right in front of the store for me. And then he said, after about the fourth time around the block, I found one. Now see, that's what happens sometimes when you put out a fleece. You can kind of manipulate it. You can, you can work it to your advantage. I do not recommend putting out a fleece. It's too tempting for us to manipulate the circumstances of it. Or some people do the flipping point. The flip and, do you know what the flipping point is? It's where you, you kinda open your Bible randomly and you, you kinda go through and you, you take your finger and you put it on a verse and then you read the verse and you do whatever it says. It's the flippin' point method. One guy did that, he opened to 1 Corinthians, uh, I'm sorry, 1 Chronicles 19.4, and this is what 1 Chronicles 19.4 says. So Hanun seized David's envoys, shaved them, cut off their garments at the buttocks. And he read that and he thought, well, that's interesting. Let me try this one more time. So, you know, he flips through and he comes to another place and he puts his finger on it. He comes to Luke chapter 10, verse 37, which says, go and do likewise. So, you know, the flip and point method may not be the very best route for you to figure out what is God's will for your life. So why don't we try to find a better way? Why don't, we, why don't we discover a method this morning that will truly help you to know what is the will of God? One of the questions that gets asked is, is the will of God broad, or is it just something that I need to get close to? You know, Is, it, is, is God's will for my life a really broad thing with several different options, or is it very specific, and it's something that's, that's kind of rigid? Does God just have one specific person in mind for me to marry and I really have to find that one person? To which I would say, that just seems like an awful lot of pressure to me. And it, uh, just, it strikes me as something that God wouldn't do. He wouldn't put that kind of pressure on us that, that there's just one specific person in all the world and your job is to find that specific person. So, you know, don't know the the true answer to that. It just seems to me that that, that's probably not the case. Um, We're going to do this message this morning in two parts. Now, the first part is very theological, and we want to understand how God's will is framed. In other words, how does God's will work? It will help you to understand the theology of the will of God. And then we're going to get practical We're going to get into the the meat and the potatoes of how to know the will of God. We will make it plain and simple. So simple that you can take this. I've given you an outline this morning and you can take this outline home and you can run your major decisions through a grid that I'm going to give you at the end of this message and you will be able to put into practice the things that we talk about this morning. So let's look at the theology of God's will first. God's will is framed okay there's there's kind of a there there, there are two sides to it. Um, it it's like looking at a golf course fairway and in the middle of that I've you know there's this there's this place in the fairway that's the zone when you play golf you start on a tee and you tee the ball up and you're aiming at the fairway now the fairway is important because the grass on the fairway is shorter than any other place, save for the green. The fairway is, is, a, is a really safe place for you to land a golf ball. When you tee off in the game of golf, you're trying to hit the fairway. In fact, that's, that's one of the statistics that they track with professional golfers is how many fairways have they hit. And the reason it's important to hit the fairway is because the grass is shorter, the lie is better, and it sets you up to make your next shot and to make a good shot. Um, The way a golf course is usually set up is in the middle, you have the fairway with the shorter grass, and then on the edges you come to what they call the first cut. And the first cut is a little taller, the grass there is a little taller. Now not every uh, golf course has a first cut. Some golf courses go from the fairway to the rough, but the nicer golf courses have what they call a first cut. And if you get in the first cut, it's still not impossible to hit a good shot. Usually in the first cut, you can get a pretty decent shot off. But after you get out of the first cut, you get into what is known as the rough. And the rough has really tall grass. It has, um, you know, sometimes there's no grass at all. And um, once you get outside the fairway, and definitely once you get outside the first cut, you you are in what we call hazards. Golf courses will sometimes put trees or rocks or sand traps in the course. In fact, some golf courses, you know, their whole thing is to, is to punish you if you get outside the fairway. And so the best move you can make when you're a golfer is to hit the ball and to hit the fairway because from the fairway, it sets you up for a really good second shot. And so, um, God's will, theologically speaking, is very similar to that. There is a zone that we need to get into so that the game, or so that life gets easier for us. If you can just keep your ball, uh, metaphorically speaking, in the fairway, if you can keep your life in the zone, inside this will of God, your life will be easier. The decisions that you make, if you can make them within this zone, you're gonna make better decisions. You know, you're trying to figure out, should I take this job or not? Should I get married or not? Should I have kids or not? The first thing you need to know is, am I in the zone? Am I set up to make a good decision? And the best way to look at it is to see the whole thing as a fairway, right? Just kind of using that metaphor. And then on the other side of the fairway, it's, uh, on one side of the fairway, it's framed by what we would refer to as the sovereign will of God, meaning what is God doing on the earth? So God is already up to something, and, and I, you know, do I know what it is? Do I know what God is up to? And am I cooperating with that? God has a will, but God's will for our lives is never outside his own will. It's never outside of what he's doing and what he's up to in the world. So one of the easiest ways to understand God's will for my life is to understand his sovereign will. Now Jesus taught us to pray that way. He said, before you ask, give me this day my daily bread. Before that, you pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. In other words, I want to align my life with what you are doing on the earth first. Before I ever get into what are you going to do in my life, I need to know your sovereign will. And we'll come back to this in a moment, uh, and I'll help you with it practically. On the other side of the fairway is another frame. And, and, and in that, on that side of the zone, on that side of the frame, is something that we refer to as the moral will of God so now on either side of our fairway we have the sovereign will of God and we have the moral will of God and the moral will of God is defined as what God has already said in his word so God is already vocal on some topics so you know what he's doing that's the sovereign will of God but you also want to align yourself with what he has already said In his word because he's never going to put you in a place or have a will for you that is contradictory to his will so we want to align ourselves with the moral will of god you say well brett what are you talking about well for instance first thessalonians chapter 4 verse 3 says this it is god's will that you should be sanctified that you should avoid sexual immorality now that greek word there for sexual immorality that is the word Pornea. Does that sound familiar to you? Uh, it literally is defined in Greek as any sexual sin outside of marriage between one man and one woman. That's the word. So anytime we get out of the fairway, when we cross out of the moral will of God that frames one side of our life, we've gotten into the rough. And I'm just telling you that life goes better. Golfers will tell you this. Golfers will tell you, your game's going to be much better if you stay in the fairway. We've, we've, you know, when we get into the rough of our life, I'm just telling you, life goes better when you keep it between these two frames. Life goes better when you keep your life in the fairway. Does that make sense? I, I want to be in the zone where the shot is easier to make because the grass is shorter. That's the zone. Then there is this thing that we talk about that is the personal will of God. And in other words, what God desires for my life. And that, quest, that is really the question that most of us are asking. God, how do I know what I'm supposed to do in this particular situation? Do I do this or I, do I do that? That's really the question that most of us have. You see, God has a plan for you. God has a plan for your life. 30 years ago, God called me to Terre Haute, Indiana. Even though I had already told him, I wasn't going to Terre Haute, Indiana. God said, I don't want to hear that. I've I've got a plan for you. You know, there's something that I want to do with you in Terre Haute, I'm calling you there. Psalm 139 says it like this. This is beautiful. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So God has a personal will and plan for your life. He has desires for your life. He has desires for my life. So when we put all three of those key statements together, we would get something like this. The more I get to know the sovereign will of God, and the more I align myself with the moral will of God, the better I will be able to discern the personal will of God that's the theology in other words before we get specific and I'm gonna get very specific in just a minute in a minute we're gonna run you through a grid and you can run just about any decision you have through the grid and get some answers on it but it must begin with are we going to play in the zone we're gonna be in the right place and that is the fairway so that you can align yourselves with God's will now before I give you the six-question grid that I'm going to give you, let me give you two questions that you need to ask yourself when you're trying to figure out the will of God. So God has a moral will, and because he does, we need to ask ourselves this question, these two questions. What, the first one is this. What am I doing that I should not be doing? Is there something in my life that I'm doing that I need to stop doing? This is a question that we need to be asking ourselves regularly, okay? In one way or another, I pretty much ask this question of myself every day. Is there something I'm doing that I need to stop doing? A minute ago, I quoted Psalm 139. The last two verses of that psalm read like this. Search me, God. Well, that's a scary thing to ask. Search me and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. In other words, Lord, uh, am I doing something that I'm not supposed to be doing? Am I doing something that grieves you? God, am I grieving you in some way? Listen, if you give God permission to do that in your life, he will show you things that he wants you to stop doing. If you allow him access to your heart and your soul and you say, God, is there something here that, that upsets you? Is there something that you see that you don't like? He will point things out. Many times I've done this with God and many times God has said, yeah, Brett, you're, you're, you're doing this and this bothers me. I don't like this. This needs to change. Now I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but whenever I speak to you on Sundays, I'm not really telling you do this or do that. I don't really get up here and tell you what to do. Very seldom do I do that. That really is not my job. Uh, My job is to lead you to God and to open you up to the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit. Can lead you and you can understand what it is that God wants you to do. I'm trying to get you as close to Jesus as I can get you because the closer to Jesus you get the more your life will be changed and if you've got the guts to ask questions like this I promise you God is going to point things out to you and God is going to rearrange your life for the better. He's going to make you a better person. So we got to get back in the fairway first. Some of us are living in the rough And I'm just telling you, when you're in the rough, your shots aren't going to be as good. If metaphorically speaking, your life is in the rough, your life is going to struggle more. It's just the way it's going to be. And what you need is freedom, and freedom is found in the fair way. So that's the first question, the moral will. Now let's ask the question um, on the other frame. God, what am I not doing that I should be doing because if God is up to something on the earth wouldn't it make sense that I would want to cooperate with whatever it is that God is up to because our goal is that our will and God's will are never different our goal is that our will and God's will line up perfectly that's the goal here's the question you need to be asking what am I doing God that I what am I not doing that I need to be doing What is that thing that you're calling me to that I'm not taking up? What is that thing that you want me to do that I'm not doing? Um, It's here that I would just tell you that Cross Lane has all kinds of ministry opportunities for you, that if you've never gotten involved in ministry in some way, this is the place where you might say, God, is there something going on? at Cross Lane that I need to be involved with? Is there something, is there some way that you could use me? I'm going to give my time, I'm going to give my person, and God, if you could use that, if you could use me, use me. And I'm just telling you that if you go to Tracy and say, Tracy, um, I'm ready to be used by Cross Lane. He will have something for you to do as you get involved in ministry in one capacity or another uh, and you get involved in something that god is already doing it will amaze you how your life has clarity in it it will amaze you how you understand god better it will begin to shape the decisions that you make now if you decide to do that if you say you know what god i am i'm going to find a place to serve i'm going to use my faith muscles a little bit i'm going to get involved now you're going to be faced with some de- uh, decisions and opportunities. Let me show you a verse. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit. Another way you could say that is every impression. Do not believe everything that looks fun to do, but test the spirits to see if they are from God. Now you say, Brett, how do I do that? Well, there are some filters, tests, that you can run your decision-making through. Whether it's what college should I attend or should I even go to college? Should we move to that town and take that job? Should we stay put? Should I marry this guy? I want to give you a grid. Six steps to put your decision-making through. And I'm not talking about doing just one of the six. You need to run your decision-making through all six of these and if you will do this your decision making will become more sound and you will find yourself making less bad decisions and the decisions that you make will land you more in the comfort zone in that in that fairway where your next decision is a a good decision as well well and you will find yourself making decisions within the will of god the first of these in fact all these come in the form of a question they are not in any particular order. Number one, am I in a right relationship with God? Am I in a right relationship with God? Am I in the rough or am I in the fair way? Start there. Start with saying, before I make a decision, I'm gonna, am I going to do this because I'm hurt? Am I'm wounded? I'm retaliating in some way? No, I'm going to see how close I can get to God. Before you make a decision, especially a big decision, you just need to stop and see how close to God you can get. Romans chapter 12 says it like this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. In other words, don't chase after your, your whims and your feelings. You, you can't always trust those things. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and to prove what god's will is his good pleasing and perfect will so that's the first first thing get back in the fairway second one is this what does the bible say what does the bible say am i considering something that is outside of god's will it's amazing the things that I have heard over the years and, and things that people, you know, they'll come to me and, and they were going to decide to do that they that clearly were not biblical things. You know, clearly they were not within God's will. But man, they could justify it in their minds. You know, they had every justification in the world. Uh, one of the conversations I've actually had a lot is, Brett, I want to marry this guy, and he's not a Christian, but I can convert him. You know, and I always kind of chuckle. Uh, we call that missionary dating, and, and that's, that's what we call it, missionary dating. Here's what I would tell you, two things. If you're going to try to do that, make sure that you are converting him or her, and they are not converting you. I've seen missionary dating go sour, and I've seen, you know, she set out to convert him, and what ended up happening was he converted her, and she left the church, and she started doing things that she shouldn't have been doing. And before you know it, her life is a mess. So that's number one. Make sure that you are the one doing the converting and not them. And number two, don't make any form of a commitment in terms of marriage or engagement or anything like that until you see and recognize a true commitment and fruit from their life that they've committed themselves to following Jesus. Okay, I'm just telling you from experience, just uh, years of ministry experience, the missionary dating thing, I've seen it work but I've also seen it fail. And, and you know a lot of times those guys or those girls will say anything that you want to hear so that you'll get married, and then once you get married, the spiritual side of things falls apart. 2 Corinthians 6 says it like this, do not be yoked together with unbelievers for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? I'm just going to tell you that because of God's word, and because of many, many years of ministry experience, I've seen this crash and burn more than once, I would slow down the romantic side and see if she finds Jesus. See if he finds Jesus, because a day will come when that part of your life, the spiritual side of your marriage, will be very, very important to you. You will want something solid, and the older you get, the more important spiritual things are going to be In your life and i have lost track of how many times somebody has come to me for counseling and they're having trouble in their marriage and one of the major issues is brett they won't go to church with me they said they would and they wouldn't and and the older they get they want more of a deeper spiritual uh commitment and 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 connection and they just don't have it and it starts to wreak havoc with their marriage scripture says heaven and earth will pass away but my words will never pass away go to god's word read his word number three what would jesus do you know they were onto something back in the 90s when they came out with the wwjd bracelet you know basically what you're saying is um, when you're trying to make a decision, a lot of times there's this moment that wells up inside you, and it might be anger or jealousy or rage or temptation. But if you will pause, if you will reflect, and you, will, you would say to yourself, How would the temperament and personality and the spirit of Jesus respond to this situation? It, you know, in other words, if I did this, does it carry the spirit of of Jesus James chapter 3 says this but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in other words the opposite of the things that Jesus would do in your hearts do not boast about it or deny the truth such wisdom does not come from heaven but is earthly unspiritual demonic for where you have envy and selfish ambition there you find disorder and every evil practice But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. And the question you're asking is very simple. Does this decision, does this action or this reaction carry the Spirit of Christ? Is this what Jesus would do? That is a great question. To ask. Number four, have I sought godly counsel? Have I got somebody in my life who loves God and have I gone to them and said, hey, what do you think? I'm thinking about doing this. This is a decision I'm going to make. This is what I think I'm going to do. What do you think about this? Now, you don't have to always do what they tell you, okay? But you need to at least consider it. You need to get to people who walk with God. And get their take on decisions that you're trying to make. Now, I've done this my whole life. When I've got big decisions to make, I get next to people who walk with God, kind of share with them what I'm struggling with. And I ask the question, hey, what do you think I should do? And that's why at Cross Lane, small groups are so important because you can get in with a group of people, you can kind of share your life with them, you can kind of talk about some things that you're going through, and you can get feedback from other people who probably have had to make uh, similar decisions in their life. Proverbs 11 verse 14 says this, for lack of guidance a nation falls, but victory is won through many advisors. But the fifth question that you can ask yourself is this, Do I sense God's peace? Throughout the Hebrew and Christian Bible, you don't see God speaking in a storm. You don't hear God speaking in the wind. God speaks in what we refer to. The Bible talks about the the still, small voice. I've tried to make decisions at different times in my life, and I just couldn't get to a place where I felt like God felt good about it. And when I get to that place and I just know that God, I just don't think God feels good about it, the answer is no. If I can't feel like God feels good about it or I get a sense that God is not in it, it's time to hit the brakes no matter what it is. Now, here's the thing, that still small voice is very difficult to hear. You've got to cut out all the other noise. You've got to declutter your life. And I'm going to be completely honest with you. There are times when that still small voice seems almost impossible to hear. But you scratch and you claw and you do whatever is necessary for you to get alone with God to get him to speak so that you can hear that still small voice. You get silent. You quiet all the other voices. And and you want to hear his voice and know that he has a peace about what it is that you're getting ready to do. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. Now let me just say, you can't just go by well, you know, I just have this peace in my heart. Brett, I just have this peace in my heart about this. Listen, I've had, meet, I've had people tell me about the peace they've had in their heart, about a decision that they've made, and there was no question that what they had decided on and this peace that they were feeling was outside the will of God. Now, you may be able to get to a place where you have a peace about something in your spirit, but it not, might not be a peace from God. Peace is a wonderful thing, but you got to have all these other things that you're running this through and not just the one. Well, I just feel a, a peace about it. Okay, well, what does God's word say? You know, what are these other things that we've considered this morning? Have you, have you thought about those as well? Now, here's the last one. Is it my will or God's will? Is it my will or God's will? You want to grow up in God, one of the best things you can do is to start your day off with this conversation. God, today I'm going to have some desires and temptations. I'm going to have some opportunities. And my prayer is that I would choose not what I want, but that I would choose what you want. Jesus modeled this for us in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's the day before he's going to be crucified. He is there in the Olive Garden, overlooking the city, late at night, praying. He knelt down, and scripture tells us that he sweated drops of blood, which is an actual physical thing that can happen when you are under so much stress that the capillaries just underneath your skin begin to burst and it comes through in the sweat. He would be stripped. He knew what was ahead of him, he knew what, what crucifixion meant, he knew what the next day brought ahead. He was going to be stripped and tortured and beaten and scourged. He would be, wear a crown of thorns. He would have his face hit. He would be mocked. He would be you know, deprived of sleep, deprived of water, deprived of food. He would be spat upon. Jesus was under such tremendous pressure that he said, Father, I really don't want to do this. Father, is there any way, is it possible that this cup can be taken from me? I don't want to go through this. Jesus was fully human and fully God. And in these moments, Jesus completely demonstrates and shows off his humanity for us. And it was in this, and then without a moment's hesitation, he turns around and he says, yet not as I will, but your will be done. Listen, I am just like you. Okay, I try hard to do it right. I try hard to follow Jesus, but I have unholy desires just like anybody else. And my prayer is often, God, I desire to look like you today and I want to make decisions that glorify and honor your name and not my own. Help me, Father, to overcome my temptations. Help me to overcome uh, these things that come at me and to live a life where people see me the way they see you. God, I want to submit my will to your will. It is hard to submit your will to the will of God. Too many Christians don't seem interested in God's will anymore. They just want God to come along and bless whatever it is they're doing. Or they put some conditions on it. God, I want what you want if. God, I want what you want but. Listen, you can't live that way and know the will of God. The only true way to know the will of God is to live a life that is fully surrendered to Him. And I'm just telling you, decision-making gets easier. Life gets easier when you are in the fair way of, God, I am surrendered to your will. And what that sounds like is this. I want what God wants, period. I want what God wants, period That's the fairway That's where we want to be and I'm just telling you your life will get better and You will get better at life When that's the place you find you will find freedom there you will find protection there you will find Guidance there. That's the place you want to be Let's pray together father we are human beings. You know that full well. We have a will. There are things we want. Oftentimes, Father, the things that we want don't jive with the things that you want for us. I pray, Lord, that we would humble ourselves before you. I pray that we would pray these prayers and we would ask these questions. I pray, Father, that at the end, we would be found as a people who look like Jesus. We would be found as a people completely surrendered to your will and therefore making good decisions, having wisdom, living our life in the fair way of life, setting ourselves up for future decisions and helping others along the way. Help us to get to that place, Father. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.